Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad to have you with us, and I'm happy to be with you. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. Once again, we are back in the book of Ecclesiastes. This morning, we're going to look at three really important rules for living life uh, in this feudal world. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a book about how to get through life under the sun uh, with all its imperfections and its pain. It gives us wisdom for living in a feudal world. It teaches us that life is toil and trouble and tears. It's unpredictable, unfair. It's a breath. We will all die, and that could happen at any moment. But as we've seen, surprisingly, uh, Solomon preaches joy in the vanity of life. Uh, We are to accept the futility and the mystery of life and go enjoy God and His gifts. Solomon said, go eat your bread with joy. Go find joy in all of your labor. Last week we saw that Solomon's ultimate answer to life, the final answer for living in this vain world is to fear God and obey Him. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commandments because this is the whole duty of man. So these are the big messages of the book that are repeated over and over, enjoy life and fear God. But there's other wisdom sprinkled throughout the book that can really help us navigate through the drama and danger of this life under the sun. And this morning, I want to cover three more, what I'm going to call rules for life under the sun. I don't know why I'm calling it that. I I think it's because I just have been uh, reading Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life. So it seemed just good to call this three rules for life. Uh, Only they're much better than Jordan Peterson's. These are from God spoken through Solomon. All right, the first rule for life. Because of the futility of life under the sun, you need to be yoked to a friend. Two are better than one. Three are even better than that. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I can't tell you how many times because of my last name people said that verse to me. Uh, if you don't get it, that's, I'll, I'll explain that afterwards. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Uh, these kind of companions must fear and obey God. That is a given. Paul said, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So, we are to team up for this journey through life. We are to team up with two or three good and godly companions. We are to seek out companions for the journey, and we are to be faithful to them. Commit yourself to long-term friendships and relationships. Be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The general principle here is simply that doing life alone is not good. Doing life alone is dangerous. Uh, Isolation might work in a perfect world, but this isn't a perfect world. This world is harsh, even brutal at times. It has lots of ups, ups and downs. Uh, we are, the Bible says that we are strangers and pilgrims here. And it's much, much better to make this pilgrim journey with faithful, godly friends. 
Now, before we get into the, the details or the exposition of this, I, I think it's really important to say something that I'm about to say. You do not get into a two or three chord relationship by complaining that nobody loves you. You do not get into a two or three chord faithful relationship by blaming others for not being there for you. You develop these kind of friendships by choosing to lay down your life for someone else. You risk yourself. You have to risk yourself to have these kind of relationships. They cost you something. Jesus left His glory and comfort in heaven to come be with us. He suffered rejection and humiliation and unfathomable physical pain for us. And of course, His death on the cross is the core of the gospel. It's what saved us. But the cross also demonstrated His love for us. And He showed us there on the cross how to be a friend. He said greater love, or John said greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friend. So Jesus taught us how to be a friend. He committed himself to be your friend. He said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Paul told believers at Corinth, he said, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. That is the attitude of life by which you gain these close friends that Solomon is advising us to have. Ruth told her mother-in-law, do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried May the Lord punish me and ever, ever so severely if anything but death separates you from me. In every one of these examples, one person, just one person, took the initiative to love and to be loyal and to be faithful. Each of these people made a costly, long-term commitment to someone else. You, you can't guarantee the faithful response of another person, but you cannot, will not have faithful friends without being that kind of person, that kind of faithful person first. So Solomon gives us four reasons why two are better than one. First, two people will have more success or they will get more done. They're, he says two have a good return or to have a better return for their labor. Uh, you accomplish more together. Heard the illustration of uh, these old draft horses. They used to have pulling contests. I used to go up to them at the state fair with my grandpa. And uh, one draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. So you would think that two draft horses hooked together could pull about 16,000 pounds. No, they can pull 22,000 pounds. There's a better return when you work together. You accomplish more together. I, I shudder to think how diminished my life would be, my life and my work would be without my wife 
and without the deep connections that I had with fellow, work, fellow elders at the Wine Fellowship Church uh, and with my fellow elder and co-laborers here at Real Life Church. I, I honestly don't think I would have lasted in home building or in the ministry just on my own, doing it by myself. Paul needed Timothy and other fellow workers. We all do. The second reason that Solomon gives is you can pick each other up when you fall. Verse 10, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, all of these guidelines or this wisdom is given to us in the context of life under the sun. And because of the nature of life under the sun, its futility and vanity and how frustrating and hard it is, that's why you need a companion like this. Life under the sun is not easy. You'll, you'll fall or get knocked down or fail at something. You'll suffer, likely, some kind of defeats in life. And if, you're, are, if you are yoked up with a good and godly friend, they will be there to pick you up. If you're just out there floating around on your own without deep connections, you might just stay down. You might stay down for a long time. And I've seen people do that. I've seen it happen to people. The, th- the third reason that two are better than one Solomon gives is that you need other people to keep warm. Uh, Solomon said, how can one keep warm alone? Travelers in those days, which I think is the context that Solomon is referring to, travelers in those days often had uh, no warm place to stay when they were out on their journeys. And the only way to keep from freezing was to lie down together. And so Solomon uses this as a, a reason why, why we need to travel together, why, why we need to be together, stay together. And while there would be a real-life application for that that probably Solomon intended, it also applies to our souls as well as to our bodies. We need each other to stay spiritually warm. It is just a fact we grow cold and even numb and insensitive to the work of God when we wonder about and float about out on our own. Uh, We need the warmth, the continual connection, deep connection with other Christians to keep, keep us warm. Fourth reason that Solomon gives, you need a friend to defend you when you are under attack. Verse 12, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, So the image here is of a person uh, being attacked or robbed or held up. And Solomon says you, you need a friend to defend you in those kind of situations. You need uh, a friend to, who will withstand uh, your attackers. And, of course, life under the sun does involve being under attack at times. If you've lived very long at all, uh, there will be someone who accuses you, someone who comes against you, someone who just wants to work against you, someone who sues you or slanders you, and you need a friend in those kind of situations. 
of course, is another, another kind of attack that we are all under as believers. We, are, uh, we wrestle with or we are under the attack of spiritual forces of darkness. Uh, we have an enemy of our souls. Uh, the world opposes us. And so you need spiritual friends who know how to fight. Uh, you need friends who will stand with you. Uh, I find it very illuminating that Paul called uh, many of his friends uh, fellow soldiers. You, you look at the ends of some of the books, the epistles that Paul wrote, and he referred to so-and-so as a fellow soldier. He meant, he was talking about brothers who would, would stand strong in the fight, and when things are going down, when things are bad, when things are hard, he had fellow soldiers. And, and you, you need fellow soldiers. You need to be in a two or three chord band of brothers, uh, soldiers, fellow soldiers. All right, those are the four reasons that Solomon says for his, his rule for life is that two are better than one. And just, it's, it's, a, it's a imploring us, it's reasoning with us uh, to connect to other people and to stay connected and to seek out close relationships and remain in them and don't throw them away. Now, this, uh, this rule for life that two are better than one is often applied to marriage. Uh, I don't think that's what Solomon had in mind here, but it certainly does apply to marriage. So, I will say this to every one of you who is married this morning. Uh, do not just exist as two people in the same house. Work together. Help each other succeed. Uh, be for each other, not against each other. Uh, you're not in a competition. You're going in one direction together. Support each other. Pick each other up. Keep each other warm. Defend each other. That's what makes a good marriage. Uh, an author that I referred to last uh, Week, who wrote a book called uh, "Living Your Life, Live Life Backwards" or "Living Your Life Backwards," something like that, named David Gibson. He said he saw two problems that are really uh, disobedience to Solomon's advice here. He said, "I see some people who do not seem to want to make friends. In other words, they they just actively uh, choose to do life alone." The second uh, problem that he sees is that others make no effort to retain their friends. They throw them away for the slightest cause. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, friends, good, godly friends are to be highly valued. And you, you don't throw them away just for the first offense or the first issue or, you know, the first thing that you have to bear with. If we pay attention to the scripture, we will seek, seek faithful friends and we'll seek to be faithful friends. We'll seek to be in. We'll do everything we can. We'll make this an important priority in life to be in faithful uh, relationships. All right. This is going to sound like three sermons this morning. Uh, and normally I would never do that, try to keep things all centered on one theme. But my excuse for doing this is this is what Solomon does all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. He jumps from one topic to another and he expects us to take home what 
what the Holy Spirit wants us to take home from each one. And he moves on. So we're going to move on to a completely different topic this morning. But don't forget what the Holy Spirit said to you through uh, this part that we've just covered. I beseech you. All right, second rule for life in this fallen world is this. Stop cursing others and pay little attention when others curse you. Now, this may sound like a very odd rule to life under the sun, but the two verses that we're going to look at, the two passages that we're going to look at, uh, are, I have found to be very important to me. Uh, this wisdom has probably kept me out of more trouble than any other advice in the book of Ecclesiastes. First, do not curse others in your thoughts. Uh, chapter 10, verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. To curse means uh, to tear down, to condemn, to speak ill of someone, to speak evil of someone, to speak of someone with contempt. And Solomon says, do not allow yourself the satisfaction of, of speaking evil of someone in your heart. Now, I find that very interesting because probably most of us would, are, are, would be pretty careful about speaking outwardly evil of someone. Hopefully, we're to that point. Maybe not, but if for sure, we ought to, we ought to start there. Don't, don't speak words of evil. Uh, don't, don't curse someone with your words, but... But Solomon goes deeper than that. He says, don't even curse them in your heart. Uh, don't, don't allow yourself that satisfaction of uh, talking about someone in an evil way in your heart. You, you, think, you think it might be okay to do that in, your priv- in the privacy of your heart. Uh, or you even think you actually are doing that in privacy, but Solomon says you're not. It'll come out somehow. Solomon said, people will find out. Uh, People will know how you feel about them in your heart, and it will damage your life. And sometimes I have have admonished myself and my wife when conversations have come up in our home. um, I've I've said this. I said, you know, how we think about people, they'll, they'll know it. People do know how you actually feel about them. You can't get by with thinking evil of someone in your heart. And then come and just be a great friend on the surface or outwardly. You gotta, you gotta love them from the heart. You gotta be their faithful friend from deep inside you. And uh, so, uh, do not curse others even in your thoughts. You know, Jesus said, uh, "Out of the heart come evil thoughts uh, and slander." Be quick to re- so we should be quick to watch what goes on in our heart. So- Solomon said, "Guard your heart with all diligence." And especially be quick to renounce and repudiate uh, evil thoughts toward about others in your heart. And in the, in the context of this, uh, talking about cursing the king uh, or the wealthy, I think, I think what Solomon is, he doesn't really come out right out and say it, but he says, you know, some, a little bird's going to take that curse to that king or that person in, in a position of power, he's going to tell them about it. And you know what? Your life's going to suffer damage. You're going to put yourself in danger even, even from thinking um, evil thoughts about that person. So it's a, it's a really strong exhortation 
to um, watch over your thoughts in your heart in the way that you think about other people. I, I hope that stays with you. Uh, it's, it's a really, really good, really good warning, and it's a really, really helpful, uh, helpful in getting through this feudal world, life under the sun. You, re you really need that rule to live by that to get through life. Now, the other side of this is that you are to pay uh, little or no attention when others curse you. <laughs> I love this. Uh, verse, or chapter 7, 21 to 22. Do not pay attention to every word that is spoken about you, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So Solomon assumes that uh, at some time, in some situation, you probably will hear somebody say some bad things about you. And so how do we deal with that when others would curse us? Well, first of all, Solomon said, just stop listening so carefully to what other people say. Um, you know, some people are just, just waiting for that offense. They're just waiting to hear, did they say something bad about me? I mean, they're just, they're just so attuned uh, to insults or, uh, you know, that somebody would say something ill of them. And in a sense, Solomon is just saying, you know, don't be so sensitive to what other people say. Uh, but when you do hear others say something critical or condemning about you, the answer is not to turn around and curse them back. Instead, Solomon counsels us to realize that you have cursed others many times too. You've, you've done that too. Stop, so stop thinking about, stop just focusing on how terrible it was of that person to say something against you. Uh, it, tamp down your outrage, you know, tamp down your offense, uh, stop wallowing in the offense, and just realize that you've also said hurtful things about others, and Solomon says many times. Can anybody in here say that that's not true? Yeah, many times we've said things that we shouldn't have said about other people. All of us have. And so, don't make a monumental sin out of something somebody else does and, and think it's really nothing when you do it. Uh, what, what they said may have been really hurtful or evil or sinful, but by acknowledging the reality of your own failure in that, areas, in that area, you will find yourself more able to overlook and forgive and bear with the offense. Um, that you see or hear from another. So, I'm going to leave that rule for life with you. Really important. Stop cursing others and stop making such a big deal out of it when others curse you. All right, third rule for life. Um, obviously, these are not the only three in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just three that have meant a lot to me, three that I think are really important through the book. So, the third rule for life, and this could change your life. This applies to everything in your life. It could uh, make you a different person in how, how you approach, just how you come at life. 
The third rule for life is live your life to the fullest and leave the results to God. Chapter 11, verse 1, which we didn't put in the bullet, and it's the first verse out of that, out of that chapter. It says, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, uh, and you will find it after many days. Give to seven or even to eight. Verse 4, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Uh, sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. So this passage from chapter 11, 1 through 6, it's, it's a call to wholehearted living, to be fully engaged in all you do. It's a call to action rather than paralysis. Work diligently. Give generously. Don't be overly cautious about life. Uh, live with abandon. Take some risks, risks or you won't accomplish anything. Plunge in. Uh, in Contemporary terminology, we might say, go for it. That is how we are to come at life under the sun. Uh, Solomon acknowledges that life is inscrutable. It's, it's beyond our understanding. It's unpredictable. Uh, and he, he lays that out for us right in this context. He says, you do not know what misfortunes may occur on the earth. That's verse 2. And... We are powerless to change so much that happens. Verse 3, if a huge tree falls to the south, then it's going to lie right there. If the clouds are full of water, it's going to rain. We don't control these things. On top of that, we can't even begin to understand all the plans and activities of God. Verse 5, just as you do not know the mystery of a baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God. And then he says, we don't know which will succeed, sowing in the morning, sowing seed in the morning, or sowing seed in the evening. There's just so much uncertainty about, uh, certainty about life, but with life's mystery, with life's uncertainty, Solomon preached wholehearted living. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I think this is even something of what is communicated in, in verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. Uh, take risks. Keep working and trust God with the results. This is a warning against being too measured, uh, too careful. Verse 4, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. If you wait for perfect circumstances, you'll never get anything done. Uh, the old commentator John Gill said, if nothing is done until all difficulties are removed, no good thing will ever be done. So, of course, uh, there's principles in the Bible that teach us that we should be wise in our planning. Uh, we probably all know people whose approach to life is ready, fire, aim. Uh, I remember the first time I heard that saying and I laughed for about 10 minutes. Because I knew someone just exactly like that. But there's just as much danger that we become too cautious, uh, too hesitant to act. And it leads to a kind of shriveled up approach to life. Uh, it leads to a small life, a life with anxiety, worry, and fears of the future. Always keeping us from doing the good things we could and should be doing. Years ago I read a biography on uh, uh, Christopher Columbus, 
Uh, I remember only one line from it, and that was this. Uh, Columbus's greatness is not that he discovered America, but that he weighed anchor. Now, if you don't, don't know what weighing anchor means, it simply means that he lifted the anchor out of the water and started the journey. His greatness was that he weighed anchor. Uh, it, was, it was the audacity, the courage, the pluck to head across the ocean with all the unknowns. Um, he had information, but he had no certainty. And in life under the sun, there is no absolute certainty. You must take action uh, without certainty and leave the results to God. You know, there's something in the book of Daniel that just comes to my mind. Uh, you know, the people that know their God will take action. And that's what Solomon's talking about. All right, I'm going to go back and move it through the, these verses in just a bit more detail. Going back to verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it will come back to you. The older commentators usually took this to mean to... Uh, as, a, as a plea t- for generosity or to scatter your gifts freely uh, to people. Uh, most uh, commentators that I've read, most present-day commentators, take it to mean something like uh, ship your grain across the sea and the goods you trade for will come back to you. Uh, some of the translations actually put it that way, ship your grain across the waters. So if you want to receive goods and payment for your grain, uh, you have to go put it out to sea with the risks of that. And so Solomon is is advocating a certain attitude toward life here. And I'm I'm praying that we get the spirit of it, the attitude of it. It's a certain attitude attitude toward life. You, you you, You have to put your grain out to sea with the risk of that in order to receive back the goods and reward for that. Uh, The NIV actually translates verse 2, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. Uh, The phrase seven or even eight is an expression that means to do something as much as you can. It's kind of like a saying. It's not necessarily specifically referring to uh, doing something seven or just eight times. It's, It's an expression meaning do something fully or completely or as much as you can. And so whether Solomon had in mind uh, generosity uh, or just investing in activities in life, uh, the point is to do what you do to the utmost. You know, this made me think of uh, Oswald Chambers' book, My Utmost for His Highest. That's what Solomon is appealing to us. He's, he's appealing us to, to us to live life to the utmost, to live and give and work and do everything we do with a wholeheartedness to the utmost. John Gill uh, said, It is best to take the passage as commending wholehearted activity, whether in business or benevolence, without, anxi- without anxiety about results, which are in higher hands. I like that enough. I'm going to read it again for you. 
Uh, it's best to take the passage as commending wholehearted activity, whether it is in business or benevolence, without anxiety about results which are in higher hands. And Solomon said, God will reward your diligence. After many days, it will come back to you. But you have to trust in that. You have to take the risk to go live your life, to put yourself out there for people and for life, trusting that after many days, the reward will come back to you. After many days, it will return to you, Solomon said, but you have to take the action. You have to take the risk and send it out on the water. Uh, This applies to giving, certainly. Uh, It applies to all of life. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you, but you have to take him at his word. The giving always feels like a risk. But Jesus said, it's not. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, Paul said, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. It's the same thing. Just keep doing good. Keep doing good today and tomorrow. Just keep doing more good all the time. In due time, you're going to get a reward for that if you do not grow weary. Uh, Scripture also says, Paul said to the Corinthians, he who so sparingly will also Uh, reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so uh, sowing bountifully is to be our approach to life in everything we're just to be people that go that are sowing bountifully Uh, we do as much good as we can all the time because god is a rewarder it will come back to you even if you have to wait for it You know, in verse 4, which, which we already had, had read um, earlier, Solomon warns against being inactive because, of, because you're paying attention to uh, small dangers. Uh, and he's, in verse 4, he basically says, you know, don't let uh, a little wind keep you from sowing your seed. Uh, don't let a few clouds keep you from going out and reaping the harvest. He's just simply pointing out that, you know, that we can be people that are so attuned to, you know, potential problems and dangers that it's just a, they, they become so big to us that we, that we just become passive and inactive in, in, in the body of Christ, in our work, in our labors for the Lord, in, in every part of life. And so Solomon warns um, against being inactive because of these kinds of dangers. And he concludes with uh, verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Interesting verse. But basically saying, don't let the imperfect nature of life under the sun make you unwilling to work and to work diligently and and to work hard. Don't let, the, uh, the, don't let the imperfect nature of life make you unwilling to take risks or don't become paralyzed by the fear of failure. Instead, Solomon said, get out there. Sow your seed. Sow your seed in the morning. Go sow it in the evening. Uh, the point is, is to uh, always be sowing, be working hard, working consistently 
do the best you can every day and pour yourself into it and leave the results to God. You don't know what will succeed, so just keep sowing. And this applies to serving Christ. It applies so much to serving Christ. Uh, it's a rule for all of life. You know, if you, if you serve people based mainly on what, result, in, in the, in what results you see or don't see, uh, you'll be up and down, uh, starting, then stopping. You'll be all fired up one day and then ready to quit the next. Um, if you keep your eyes on all the problems of sowing into other people's lives, you know, it's too windy, um, I see a cloud, <laughs> it's too cloudy, uh, you'll never sow into other people's lives. There's just always a reason to not reach out. There's always a reason to not serve. There's always a reason to not give. There's not always a reason to stay uninvolved. I think Solomon's advice is very much like what Paul told Timothy when he said, Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. That's what Solomon's saying here. Morning and evening, sow your seed. Uh, so we're, we're all kind, called to this kind of, of steady faithfulness, uh, relentless faithfulness, if you will. I think the verse in the New Testament that probably sums up what Solomon was telling us here more than anything is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, it's, just, it's just appealing to us to go live for Jesus with abandon. Uh, go work for Jesus. Go work for the kingdom with abandon. Uh, without looking too much at the immediate results or the problems, just go do your work for the Lord. The reward will come. Your labor is not in vain. Uh, after many days, it will return to you. But you have to go and take the risk and reach out and get involved in serving the King of Kings. And mostly we do that by serving and loving and reaching out to, uh, to one another, to other people. And we're just not, not to stay in a place of, of, of inactivity um, Lethargy, spiritual lethargy, so to speak. So this is the approach of life that God tells us to have through uh, Solomon. Uh, I hope, I pray to God that, uh, that you get this. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to, to get this approach to life. Um, it's, a, it's a courageous approach. Uh, way of living. It's, it's a call to a courageous way of living. It's, uh, it's a call to stop hiding, to, to, to not being inactive. It's a call to get out there and go and sow our seed faithfully morning and evening. And the Lord will see to it that you are rewarded. So it's an attitude of the heart. Uh, it, can, it applies to a lot of things and I know I didn't do, make all the applications for you. I trust the Holy Spirit will do that in your hearts. But it's, an, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wholehearted 
risk-taking, adventurous approach to life uh, that we're called to have. And as I said at the beginning, this could be a life-changing um, a life-changing attitude for you, for you to adopt into your heart. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, we thank you for the uh, amazing wisdom that you have uh, put into this book of Ecclesiastes for us.